off, we're gonna tear the roof off the mother sucker. Tear the roof off the sucker. Sometimes I think what I need is a you and a Welcome to Two Day Dream Believers Podcast. I'm your host, Space Orphan 18. Today we're discussing wheels. And my guest today is Snarky Hag. Hi. Hi. All right, let's jump right in talking about wheels. Um, kind of the first PSAE story with Artie's storyline here. But, you know, comparatively, um, I think that. It isn't as sledgehammery as a lot of Glee's uh, PSA episodes tend to be, and um, there's a lot of crude in it, so we can jump right in and talk about that. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So starting out, we have the first scene where Will comes out and says, "Hey, we can do defying gravity for sectionals," and um, immediately just gives it to Rachel. And, uh, first of all, Mercedes actually protests and, um, she's basically like, why can't I do it? And you see Kurt who gets super excited. It's the first time I think in, in the series that Kurt is just crazy excited about this. And he's got an iPod shuffle and he's ready to do it. And yeah, his face is like, like he's bubbling over. Cannot, he's making the dumbest sweet face. (laughs) I felt so bad for him. (laughs) Well, yeah, and then, like, even when Mercedes is like, I want to, you know, try it out. Usually, you know, they're very super supportive of each other. And we don't necessarily, Kurt doesn't necessarily, like, support Mercedes even. He's just like, I'm doing this. And, And when Will shuts him down and Mercedes is still complaining a little bit about it, he's not even really that supportive. He's just like, just, you know, completely withdrawn back into his, like... I don't know, just regress because he wants this so much. Well, what I see really often with a lot of them, like, you know, because they're teenagers. Right. Is that, like, when they get really excited about something, they sometimes forget that other people are in the room. Mm-hmm. And it takes them a beat. So, like, you see friends who really ought to pay attention to more stuff just ignore pretty significant things that their other friends are going through because they're just so singularly focused. Mm-hmm. Which obviously, like, that's one of Rachel's, that's tough with her, because, like, she has so much singular focus and so less clarity about, like, what's happening in the room. So, you know, it's totally understandable that she doesn't see anything, because she wouldn't normally. But, yeah, that that exchange, I think that's when I first really started to hate Will. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, that's it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's an unintentional um, a theme that when people start listening to the podcast, they'll notice. But it's it's really pronounced in Kurt's storyline where, you know, I, I, as someone who, um, I, you know, I studied music through college. And, like, 
usually there, there's auditions at every turn and there's chances for other people to try out. And yeah, you're always going to get politics of some people just like other people better, but will, you know, this is high school. You, you let these kids have a chance and he's consistently just giving everything to Rachel. And I don't even fault Rachel here because will just doesn't like let anybody else have a chance, especially. And the other thing is like, will is so, Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. She, she's so laser focused, like she can't see it. But mm. yeah, like to a lesser extent, Tina, which I'm sorry, poor Tina, I never really care yeah. about you that much. <laughs> but, like it happens with Tina, but it it happens with Tina on such a level where I know it's just meant to be a joke. But if you are actually like, especially see the season one, if you're a fan of Mercedes or Kurt in any way, I think that you start hating Will like three episodes in, and it just gets worse to the point like. Further on in the series, like, why do you... Then when they have those big, like, oh, everyone cares about you things where they're always being so great to this great teacher, and it's like, I don't really feel like they would be a part of that. No, it's it's kind of hard. I mean, especially, you know, you've got all these moments, and especially even in the early, you know, beginning of the series, and, you know, it's hard to... You know, Glee keeps telling us these things about Will Schuster being a great teacher, and yet showing us all of these other things where he's not. Super heavy-handed, especially when you get to see parents, like, you see, from, well, from the 2009 episode, obviously, we finally got to see Mercedes' mom. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, when you see the actual real parents, and you see, the like, the other grown-ups who can be influential to these people, you would think that they would be able to really easily discern that, like, this grown-up is doing a less, like, helpful job in terms of, like, parenting me through the world. So you have this this Will character who he just can't really seem to focus on more than a couple things at once, which to his detriment, he's leading a really complicated club yep. and bad things are going to happen because of that. And then you have the, you know, you the problem with Will is that Bert Hummel also exists in this universe and Bullet, Bert Hummel is just so like genuinely wonderful and supportive and mentoring to any it just seems like he does it to any young person who happens to walk in front of him. And then you have all these other little snippets where the parents show up. Obviously, no other parent as much. But when these parents show up, you see Carol. Mm. I mean, even like Artie's mom when you go to college. Right. All these other times when the parents show up, there's like these really genuinely decent people. Even Emma. I'm going to throw Emma oh some God. love I there. I don't why Emma likes him. Jesus, Emma. <laughs> Well, and possibly be that cute in your mind. (laughs) Going on to the next scene, because unfortunately, (laughs) it's more about Will not being a great teacher. Kurt stands up for himself. And and even here, um, you can see Mercedes and actually a lot of people, you know, kind of standing up with with Kurt in a sense. Um, And he's like, hey, you know, I can do this. I want to do this. And um, when Will's like, you know, it's got a high F in it. He's like, well, that's in my range. And I'm like, if you were a good teacher, you would know that Kurt is a counter alto and he has this range because it's such a unique voice. You'd be on that. Like, how do I showcase this really interesting thing right here? But again, yeah, on the, on the meta level, it makes you wonder whether or not he's just an idiot, which <laughs> it, you know, you tend to believe, Oh, he's just an idiot. He's not really paying attention to anyone, but Finn and Rachel, because obviously but then also on another level, I wonder if there's a part of him who's like, he thinks he's doing he's doing the right thing by keeping the kids within a particular safe space where they won't be too much of any one thing and they can survive better 
like as grown-ups because he really lives in that same little tight space, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you have people, especially characters like Kurt and Mercedes, who they thrive going outside those boundaries and being more than that which they are allowed to be, mm-hmm. you know, it's so frustrating to watch him mentor incorrectly. Oh. It's like he, I just feel like he either didn't know or didn't care or thought he was doing the right thing in sort of, like, pushing Kurt in that, you know, I'm not a box, there's more than four <laughs> sides to me thing, which he says, which cracks me up as, you know, fuck. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, like, I don't know what they were thinking, and this episode is written, it's written by Ryan Murphy, and it's an early episode, so I feel like this is when they were really paying attention to some of the things, and Kurt was one of his pet characters. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed odd. I mean, this particular episode is so there's so much plot. I mean, the first, the first, well, the first eleven and then the back nine. I don't, anyway, yeah, like first thirteen and the back nine. Yeah, yes, like in the first set of season, like there's so much happening in every single episode. Stuff mm-hmm. is really flying by, and I went and looked back, and there's only three songs. Yeah, it, which is crazy when you think of it now. Yeah, um, and they, they're important songs, and it's like they're really well done in the storyline. But you, when you think about, like, all the different things that Glee was trying to come across with right. this episode, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's strange. Well, and I think, well, this is the first time because um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of the adult stuff going on in the previous four episodes. There's not a lot of the stuff, with the exception of, you know, Finn and Rachel and Quinn and stuff like that. Um, and this is the first episode... It really to showcase like a lot of the characters. I mean, this is the first time Brittany and Santana get a lot more lines. Artie gets his storyline. Um, and Tina is involved with that. The end, uh, Finn and Quinn and Rachel still have their plot line, but it's still, it's mostly kid focus as opposed to Will and his issues. He, Will is not the focus of this episode. Yeah. Um, so it really makes it seem like, you know, they, they thought it was going to be about, like you can tell in the first season especially there was all this emphasis towards the grown-ups and then the show just naturally changed to pay attention to the characters people cared more about right and yeah i mean it just uh, we were talking about in, in previous podcasts um just that these other characters were doing so many interesting things just even in the background and they yeah. really stood out to people and and these storylines are the ones that that the audience seemed to really grasp onto. And that's why these characters became so much bigger than what they originally intended to be. Yeah. I mean, definitely in the first season, I feel like Kurt and Brittany were like the king and queen of what was happening in the background. Yep. And I was so pleased, like as the show moved on, that they got to become greater characters because they were doing so much characterization with nothing. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing is that, I, I have a tag that I use that says Glee loves parallels because Glee fucking loves it. It does. <laughs> so, like, you know, if, if, if it's going to tell a story about Finn and Quinn and this baby and Rachel, it's also going to tell a story about Will and Terry and the fake baby and Emma. Right. And, you know, that resonates. It re- when they do those big numbers were like when they did the like a virgin number mm-hmm. and there was all these storylines coming together around this one particular number, like it was really well, fantastically well done. And the part in, well, we'll get to it later on, but when Kurt's um, going up 
the keyboard mm-hmm. higher and higher and higher, and the tension is getting thicker and thicker. Like, is he going to hit the note? What's happening? And then Bert gets a phone call. Like, that was really well done. I totally, I still think that's a great movie moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's um, we will get back to that in just a quick second. <laughs> um, going back a little bit um, is um, the first scene in in the garage. Um, it's oh okay so Kurt is kind of upset about not getting this, uh, even a chance at the solo and oh, and Bert notices it. oh go ahead yeah he's full of honey <laughs> and 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 Bert like you know I, I like that it, they're starting because you can assume before Preggers their Bert and 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 Kurt's relationship was a little bit more fragmented that they just were completely not even anywhere near the same page and yeah. and even though they may not understand each other 100% you know Bert's making more of an effort and and he he still doesn't get his kid in a lot of ways but he's really trying and but I I love one thing I love about this scene is that he's really upset and Bert's like hey what's going on and you know, Kurt's like, I'm upset. And the first thing Bert says is, is, is it about a guy? I can't do that yet. And I, I <laughs> and I love that moment. I love where Bert's just like, you know, I, I, there's a lot of things I can handle, kid, but I'm still processing this whole gay thing. There's a fantastic gift that somewhere uh, that I, I know every blog where it's like, it's Bert saying like, is it about a boy? I can't handle that yet. And then when Kurt gets his acceptance letter to Miata and he's like, who's going to tell Blaine? You got to let me do it. Yep. Like, just that whole, it's not that long in time, but, like, it so very much parallels where, like, popular culture was at, where, like, right. people couldn't really handle stuff, and then things became more and more apparent. And I I love watching them speak different languages to each other, but try really hard to understand all the same. Yep, absolutely. Like, Kurt reaches out to him in French. <laughs> you, you dramatic teen, you're so like it's just so like hilarious. It's totally the kind of thing that I, I know people who would talk like that. And uh, and then there's Bert who's like eating like a slim jim or a donut right. or God knows what, and he's just like, I don't get it. I totally don't get it. But like, you give me the basic outline, and I will get like I will go seek the truth on your behalf. Like I will try and get justice on this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't even ask for it. No. No, but, you know, that's the one thing that's really awesome about this particular relationship is that the Hummels are very loyal people to each other. I mean, it's like, okay, you know, we may still be having issues. I'm still processing this whole gay thing, um, but I'm going to go help you fight this fight. You know, um, you're my kid. I love you. Let's make this right because you are obviously upset about this. So, um, shoot, I had one. Even to the point where, like, you know, their, their taste in so many things is so different and they really can't, they, they really don't have an appreciation for the things that the other person is into on, on lots of different levels. Mm. Cause you know, they're at the shop and Kurt has on like a fancy sweater <laughs> and he's speaking in French and there's his dad who's all greasy. And like I said, eating probably eating hot wings or a donut or God knows what. It was a donut. And, yeah. <laughs> probably <a> donut. <laughs> <laughs> and yet there they are just like, like sort of searching out each other's humanity past mm-hmm. all the, I mean, they have all these layers that are really important to defining the kinds of people that they are, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily so different. Like when you get to the heart of like what they stand for in terms of like how they want the world to be, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. And the fifth, they both are coming from a place where they want the world 
to be loving towards the other one. So, like, Bert wants his son to be able to do whatever he, whatever makes him happy in that way, because he understands that, like, that piece of happiness is crucial to Kurt feeling normal, you know? Yep. No, exactly. And, and then there's Kurt, who really wants his dad to be able to be happy in the way that he's not getting these phone calls and accusations and things that really challenge his world and make him, you know... As a parent, there's nothing scarier than when you feel like your kid is unsafe. Mm-hmm. Even, like, on a on an emotional level, but, I mean, here we're dealing with clearly a physical level as right. well. And so it's sweet to sort of see them coming at a similar problem, like, with a... They have similar... They're totally different, but they have similar approaches towards caring about something right. that really binds the two of them. Yep. Absolutely. Um, there's two quick things before we move on about this this little scene. Uh, the first one was um, that I like that sometimes they're a little snarky with each other. Um, like, because Bert's like, what's wrong? You know, maybe it's all that product that you wear in your hair. And Kurt's like, it's organic. It's fine. I, I like that they're a little snippy with each other at times, but it, they kind of just, that's how they are with each other. Um, the other thing is related to, back to the uh, Gert. Gert. <laughs> 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 That's what happens when I try and slow things together. Um, <laughs> when I mean, I'm thinking, like, what two people would be girt? I can't think of anyone. <laughs> no, I went uh, to say I was going to say the the when Bert says um, that it, he doesn't want it to be about a guy because he's not ready for it that yet. Um, it's like that is a concept. Still, it's not a reality because you were talking about, you know, later on when it's Blaine and it's like, I want to go tell Blaine first. I feel like right now I can only imagine what Bert thinks, you know, being gay is like or, you know, his imagery of what gay is doesn't it, it may be different than what the reality ends up being. So it's a little bit easier when reality is right in front of you and not just, you know, this concept that he has in his head of it. And it makes me wonder what kind of person he imagines would be Kurt's boyfriend. Because, okay, so like, so he's seen Brokeback Mountain. Yep. <laughs> not going to be a cowboy. Like, does he think it's going to be someone just like Kurt? Because, you know, at that point in the universe, that's the only gay example that there was. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who's kind of feminine and flashy and, you know, like he... He very much has a stereotypical way about him. You know, they built him. They built him off a stereotype, and then they improved upon him and fleshed him out in a way that made him really quite unique and interesting. Mm-hmm. But like when it, when Bert says, you know, is it about a boy? I can't handle that. I don't know if it's so much about. I mean, probably him thinking about mechanics and not knowing, like <laughs> thinking about like, oh, my teenager's gonna do this thing. Oh my god. But also, like, not necessarily knowing what it, all the different ramifications of, you know, mm-hmm. holding hands with someone and who that person would be. And, like, you know, Bert is so fascinated later on and then also so let down that there's Finn who exists and, and Finn doesn't hate Kurt outright. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's he wasn't even prepared for someone to be okay with Kurt. And then he's so let down when there's parts of him that aren't, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So. All right. So, um, oh, and and one last thing. Gosh, there's a lot in this little scene, isn't there? Um, there's so much. <laughs> just that. Um, I love that when Kurt says, "At least you don't have to worry about me getting anybody pregnant." <laughs> <laughs> and his dad's like, "Okay, I'm done with this." <laughs> Dad is so fully disgusted by that idea. <laughs> 
it's like, like they're both equally disgusted. It's great. Okay. All right. So, um, puts down the donut. Like, (laughs) so will, uh, not will, um, Bert barges into the, the school and basically stands up for his son. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they kind of play it out. Like, okay, we have to do this fair and we can't just give Kurt, you know, and at least will seems to get it a little bit. You know, like, oh, well, you know, we're teaching lessons about Artie in wheelchairs. Maybe we should have, you know, I should have been fairer to uh, Kurt in, in this situation. Yeah, and it's so unfortunate that they don't bring in Mercedes. Yeah. But, again, you know, that's that's too many people for them to juggle. They have to have a one-on-one. You know, she gets in on Defying Gravity, like, 15 seasons later. Yeah. So. <laughs> At least she'll get her moment to shine too, because she she deserves one too. I know that is something that crossed my mind this time watching through it. It's like you know Mercedes has been fighting this fight too, and um, unfortunately, it's not until season three when she goes head to head with uh, Rachel over. Or I mean, there might I'm blinking on a lot of season two, so there might be more of it in season two. But well, there's so many little things like when she sings, "Oh God, I can't remember the song now." The one from Dreamgirls. When they're talking about like who should have the solo. Oh yeah. Oh, we should edit. We can edit that out for time. Yeah. I'm just rambling, so. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's alright. So, there's so many little moments over the years. I just feel like poor Mercedes. Her storyline is so much of the same goddamn thing all yeah, the time. I know. Which, which in a lot of ways, I think it makes it. It's it's an interesting comment on um, how people deal with race relations where mm. it's like Jesus Christ the same like we're not yeah. getting anywhere we have to do the same thing 20,000 times to make like one little step forward right um that could be a whole other podcast yeah <laughs> I, was say, I mean it's it's interesting how much um it's, there's also been a theme of Mercedes through these podcasts so far and I, I I'm glad that we're talking about her too I mean she's, she's a totally fascinating character and I wish that I I really want to go back and read more Mercedes meta because there's, I think there's a lot of really great stuff to pay attention to. And it's the kind of thing where so many of the things that really need to be talked about, about her Mm. don't really get talked about because people are uncomfortable. Right. No, right. I agree. Um, maybe I should do a a specific myself. Like I don't necessarily know. I'd like to think that I am well informed, but I don't necessarily know even if I have the right language for it. Oh yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I'm like, um, uh, on we should do a, a, a other podcast. I mean, like just for Mercedes or, or whatnot, because it's been really fun watching her character um, while doing these rewatches with Kurt, because especially because they're so tied in together um, throughout these this first season. So yeah, well, I mean, you know, now that you've started this going, you could just keep going with like just doing special episodes on characters who don't get enough of this or that. Absolutely. All the all the odds and ends characters and the ways that they <laughs> intertwine. All the things that they forgot about Sam that Sam did. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um so Will announces that there's going to be a diva off, and um this is the little thing where you know of course Rachel's pissed, and you know I I'm going to give Rachel this one in that I I don't I mean I understand where her anger's coming from because. Will is like, here you go, Rachel. Oh, wait, no, never mind. You know, and that's not fair to Rachel either. I, I think that Will, once again, is proving not to be the best of educators here. I mean, I'm glad that he's finally like, okay, let's get some auditions in here. But it's like, you know, you really should have thought this through in the first place. 
Yeah. Well, Rachel walks into Glee Club day one feeling like she's already she's been auditioning for fifteen years. She's already she's done all the legwork and now she's like ready to go. Mm. True. True. Okay, so I like this. <laughs> I like this little scene where where Kurt is making them pledge um, to have it not be a popularity contest. Oh my and, god! <laughs> like. Oh, <laughs> he was sitting with his legs crossed in a wheelchair. Yeah. He got some little sweater. Well, and he's so um, smirky about the whole thing because yeah. he knows that you know. Yeah, I'll make them all pledge, but they all like me better, you know. Yeah. And he says that he dresses better than her, which you know, true, <laughs> true. But like, I love how when he's when he's young and uncomfortable with himself and like not not very fulfilled, he's so judgy. And, like, sort of nasty because that's his defense mechanism, you know? But it's so endearing. I don't know why I find it so endearing <laughs> when he's bitchy about things. I don't think the judginess or bitchiness really goes away. But he's happy earlier on. But is there still it's some? Like just, it's almost like just, like, I think I'm going to beat you. But just in case I don't, let me just point out that sweater is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, and also, I love the little comedic moment. Well, first of all, like Mercedes over there, like waving and so really happy for him and like her being a personal little cheerleader. But also the moment where he's like, you're left hand, Brittany. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like Santana has the help her out. I love that little moment. <laughs> Brittany, seriously, Brittany. She had nothing. She had no character at all. And, like, they just, she did so well. That actress did so well <laughs> creating this whole thing. And, like, they just built off that. There's so many, like, you can go back and watch all these little snippets of background moments, especially Brittany and Kurt, and they're all just fucking hilarious. They are. I love it. I, I really like um, the, the small little connection that there is between Kurt and Brittany. I, I think it's yeah. very special. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things that happens sometimes in, like, super cracky fix that come up where like the connect the, the special unicorn connection starts happening and it's just so endearing. Absolutely. Ugh. Um, getting back to Rachel for just a second okay. though. Um, I, I just want to say that like, it's interesting that this is where it really kind of starts to, I, I think at the beginning it's Kurt saying, you know, I can do this. I can prove myself. I can sing the song. And then it gets a little personal towards Rachel at the end of his little speech, like you said, with the, this, like I dress better her than her. And it, it's kind of like Kurt's kind of taking on this, you know, I can prove I can do this and I'm going to prove I'm just as talented and wonderful as you. It's kind of the mm -hmm. beginning of that Hummelberry competition aspect to their relationship. Yeah. This is when the, the subplot of Hummelberry is wicked starts and just continues. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I am so glad it comes back up later on. <laughs> well, I went I went back and I looked through um, the wiki earlier today, mm -hmm. and there's I couldn't remember what. Of course, I remember everything that Kurt had on because it's adorable. I think he has on the he even has on the giant beetle brooch. But I forgot like there's a picture up, and Rachel is wearing something that I don't know. I guess season one, Rachel they couldn't really figure out how to dress her sometimes, but maybe this was on purpose. The two of them are both wearing these really big stripes across like across their body so their their outfits are very um not coordinated but sort of drawing parallel lines because she has really dark stripes and then like a white background and he has these bright blue stripes 
and I wish that I had more time to delve into what all the different colors mean about all the different things, but I really like the way that they set these two characters off from each other about how there's like a, a, there's a similarity that runs through them and then it breaks off in two different directions and how that works for them or doesn't work for them. That's really cool. I've never actually really noticed that. I'm not really big on not that I'm not interested. I'm just I'm not very good at that observation kind of stuff. So I'm that's really awesome when people bring that out. I'm like, oh, that is so amazing. I, that's well, the thing is that you know the costume the costume people are fucking on point. Oh, I know. So for the most part, they're trying to explain something as like that's their chance to tell the story. And sometimes, especially with Kurt, they're just like putting him in whatever wacky outfit, God knows what. <laughs> like a super meaningful thing, especially with Rachel. Sometimes it's a super meaningful thing. Mm-hmm. And here she looks especially innocent but also banded like right. almost tied down oh yeah never thought of it that way that's really fun <laughs> I'm on a neckerchief so that always means something but i don't know what it always means but it means something all right so before we get into some of the there's two little scenes that i i don't really want to go by because i think it's entertaining one um kurt uh kurt um auditions for cheerios for a split second. Oh my god. <laughs> and I, that's so showing off Chris's skill with uh, that baton there. But <laughs> Oh, and Mercedes has a little, like, she's like, she's got like a step clap. <laughs> Everybody is so funny in that. And that's everyone's just... so terrible. And then there's Becky. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> yep, that little bit. And then, yeah. oh god. And, and, like, it's so, it's interesting because, again, there's another parallel, but it's like, you get so initially suspicious about, like, what is how nefarious is the thing that Sue's going to do? Like, you know mm. it's going to be nefarious on some level. You just can't quite figure out how. No, but there's there's more to Sue. Who knew that? That's what, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's the there's a tiny little scene that's really setting up a, an Artie Tina scene um, where they're all in wheelchairs kind of learning and Kurt's, like, spinning really quickly because, you know, he, he can, so he's, like, just showing off there. Yeah. But also, like, Rachel goes by and he's got this, like, murderous look, like, all right, I'm going to take you down soon. Just watch your back. Huh. <laughs> I mean, I really like I, the show. If there's one thing Finn does well, it's the struggle. Mm-hmm. And I love watching him, like, attempt a wheelchair around, just have <laughs> shit dumped on him all the time, knocking <laughs> the lockers. And then he gets mad, he gets up, and he's kicking the chair. And he's just so perfectly flaily. And so interesting, because then you see all the other... Everybody else, they seem to be able to work the wheelchair just fine. Like, they're not really, they're not really struggling in the same way. And maybe it's because he's huge, and they all seem to have just this, like, standard wheelchair. I, I will have to say, this is completely off topic, and I probably won't even edit this out because it's so entertaining to me, but when, when Mercedes at the beginning says, um... You know, or Will says to Mercedes, we'll find something for you to dip in chocolate. He has the most confused look on his face. Like, oh what the hell does that mean? <laughs> that was so... Jesus Christ, Will. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so we're <laughs> on to the... <laughs> Will, you are terrible. But on the second hand, like, if she does, dip it in chocolate. And so you say it's going to be fucking awesome. It's going to be way better than it's other stuff. Like, let her do it. Yep, yep. Okay, so um, on to the scene where uh, Kurt's practicing and Inbert gets that phone call. And the thing that I I love that they did is that they're having him sing up a chromatic scale. And because they're doing that, it's actually not scored. There's no music in the background. Um, they're actually using him singing as the scoring. And as he gets farther and farther up and, and going for that high note, 
um, that's when the tension builds and finally he hits that note and then Bert gets that phone call. And I, I just love that moment and, and the way they, they set that up and, and use Kurt's scene to add the, the, the tension to the scene. Yeah, it is great. And I love also the fact that he's going up and he's got those stickers <laughs> and he's headed to the gold star. Yep. You know, just supposedly a metaphor for Rachel, also a metaphor for some other things, so it's hilarious. <laughs> um, like, just Kurt and his, you know, Kurt's ascension towards the thing that's a goal, and the goal is the gold star. I thought that was fantastic. I love it. Yep, absolutely. Um, so Bert gets, well, you know, and here, I've always thought that Glee kind of has this 80s, 90s feel with the school sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. who... I I don't know. Do people actually call businesses like that anymore and say, hey, you know, you're, you know, mean stuff about your kids? I mean, that's a lot of it is done Internet now, not necessarily on the phone. But that moment felt very uh, like out of time in in some respects, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, does Bert know about the Internet? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, he very much strikes me as someone who will never have a cell phone, won't know how to do, you know, he's, you know, he's very out of time himself. I mean, maybe it's also the showrunners, but but if you want to do, if you want to call a business, then businesses typically have landlines back in the day. Yeah, but now you, I mean, like, you can trace a call. I mean, I can't imagine... It just seems like an. I, it, I I understand that they wrote it that way because they need that kind of thing in there. I just I thought it was an interesting way to do it. Just yeah. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense with the way that Bird is so old fashioned. Yep, that too. Um, but also because it takes it takes everything. You know, Kurt's not being harassed on the street or by any particular person. It takes everything about the threat and makes it this aim this this blob of a thing, this amorphous threat that Bert can't he can't call them back. He can't chase after him in his truck. He can't do anything. He just has to take it on and then try and process it. You mm-hmm. know, and the fact that he's helpless about it because it just comes at him. He can't do anything. I think that's where you see a lot of that frustration later on. He slam and stuff around in the shop. Absolutely. Oh, and I think that's the key to it too. It's just that it's almost like the phone calls, like this metaphor for this stuff that he can't control. Like with the, you know, his with with uh, Kurt not being able to sing the song, Will can go, uh, Will, oh my god, Bert can go in there to Will and say, I want this, you know, to fix this, and, and he can do that, and he can help his kid do that, but with this anonymous call, he can't control that. And, yeah, and I think Lee was smart to, to show us this 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 build-up with Bert of, like, you know, he sees this, this issue where he wants to intercede on the part of his son, and, he, and if he can't do something, he's going to do something. And then it's like the next level of problem is, well, what about the stuff you can't do anything about? Like how do you get your own emotions sorted out and try and do and make any kind of change when it's, you know, as it steps up past what you personally can deal with, like in the physical realm, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and then Kurt comes in and he's just so excited because he hit that note. And, and I love... The, the little moment where he helps his dad fix the the uh, um, the coffee maker or whatever it is because he's just so used to like helping his dad do things mm-hmm. um, and you know it, it takes him a minute to process that his dad's actually upset about something yeah he just sees him fumbling with something like normal yep <laughs> so I'm sure it, Kurt set up the cell phone <laughs> wow technology that has eluded Bert which is just the coffee maker <laughs> why well, I, I would totally read a fic just about 
just about Kurt trying to teach his dad about new technology. I don't know why. That just sounds very entertaining. <laughs> or like Grandpa Bert. Yep. Like, oh, yeah. That would be hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, and it's interesting how they that I think in some ways Kurt misunderstands Bert a little bit here because... You know, Bert's really upset, and Kurt's mom is no longer around to, you know, she would have been the one to say, okay, this is how we deal with this, the, you know, calm down, Bert. You know, and he's just really upset because, like we said, he can't control things. But Kurt is suddenly, you can see when he starts thinking about, you know, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should be protecting my dad. Yeah. Well, I think up until this point, like, you know, all of these experiences that are sort of new to Bert are things that Kurt's already decided that he's going to deal with, and mm-hmm. he's just going to have to put on a brave face and go for it. But watching someone else that you care about going through a similar struggle and knowing that it's just... I, I just see him thinking, like, well, it's just really not the right time. You know, my dad's not ready. Right. And um, I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just... I, I ended my sentence with an um, which oh. is fantastic <laughs> for a podcast. Let's say more ums and yes. I No, I totally get you because I have a tendency to, like, the first one I said absolutely all the time. I'm like, I need to stop saying that. Just let the person talk. <laughs> um, but... Um, your catchphrase. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, um, um... Hold on. Oh, just it, what you were talking about before, whereas they, they have the same kind of, um, they kind of go about the same kind of, I'm going to protect the, this person that I love, uh, that kind of thing in common. Because, you know, first Bert's like, I'm going to go in and, and I want to protect my kid from the outside world. But here it's, you know, Kurt's thinking maybe I should be protecting my dad. Maybe, you know, being aware that his dad is not ready for certain things or even if it is a little misguided, um, I don't think that, you know, him singing a girl song would have made much of a difference in the long run. But um, you can just see how he wants to to be there for his dad and, and to make sure that his dad is safe from the stuff that, you know, he is used to, unfortunately, getting uh, at this point. And, like, I don't know how deep it goes, like, from what Kurt is paying attention to. Obviously, that's not fleshed out. But, I mean, you can imagine how, you know, so he's... You can imagine thinking, like, so here's this person who's out there in the community. They have a local business, and, you know, they live or die based off of whether or not people come into their shop. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's thinking about, like, how his dad feels emotionally, but maybe also, like, how he's able to be a person in this tiny town. And, like, you know, the name of their shop is hilariously Hummel Tyler and Boo. I'm sure they did that on purpose. (laughs) I fucking want a shirt that says that so bad. (laughs) But, um, you know, that so, so someone's calling his place of work, you know, threatening not only, like, his, his emotional sense, but his, his safety and his child's safety in a way, and the way that they take care of each other, and, like, oh, you know, Bert is, is vulnerable, you know, and in some ways his business is possibly vulnerable, which is kind of everything that they've built. I mean, they've clearly built this thing you know, over time. And there's no ever ex- explanation about Grandpa Hummel opening up the tire shop, which wouldn't make sense because it would be too too old of a timeline, right? Right. So you just see sort of like Kurt really, it, I think it's interesting how they allow Kurt to be able to see the depth of understanding of how things go and they kind of let him grow in a way mm-hmm. where I feel like they stilt Rachel with that. Yeah. And they stilt some of the other characters really getting it, but we get, 
but he is allowed this blossoming and this relationship is allowed to blossom in a way that makes it really special. Oh yeah. And just uh, yeah, 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 all of that and going in with the little like Bert not being ready to talk about guys and, and not ready to, you know, hang rainbow flags from his doorstep yet. He just, it, it, they are still all throughout the series and, and are trying to understand each other and figure each other out. But yet they're, they're so strongly bonded in their, the, in this family way. And I, I, it's just an amazing storyline. Uh-huh. So, okay. So getting into defying gravity, um, the diva off the one thing that like when I was doing, um, a made for it originally that stood out to me is here are the rest of the Glee kids like Mercedes and Artie and Tina are all sitting around cart kind of just like cheering them on and Rachel comes in alone and Finn yeah. kind of is like hey I'm on your side but you know he's sitting next to Quinn and and like so there's definitely Kurt is beginning to really have a support system where Rachel and they're doing this and the writers are writing this intentionally is really on her own in, in, in a lot of ways and still early on. Yeah. Right. Sorry. That wasn't very good. Yeah. That was no. my answer. <laughs> <laughs> like your ideas suck. Let's go on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, wait, absolutely. Oh, yep. <laughs> uh, I love that we can edit stuff out. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, no, but just, uh, I don't know, it's just one of the things that, that contrasts Kurt and Rachel. They, they spend a lot of time and, and effort to show his struggle and show his vulnerability and really make you feel like, God, I really, like, I want him to win, and because you see her sort of more entitled and used to winning, even though she's clearly also an older guy, but she is so terribly alone, and this is the only thing that she really has. And so on some levels, like, you know, I, I like Kurt, but I love that she gets to have these successes because it's all she's got. I mean, when she's pining over Finn mm-hmm. and she wants a solo and like, that's, that's her whole world. Yep. And I, if she had lost it, it would have been an interesting storyline, but it would have been the kind of thing that, you know, it's so much better for her to lose a diva off in season four. Five, yeah. Four. In four. Yeah. Season four. Um, because you really get a depth of what their relationship is back. And I love that they harken back to that diva off so much later because you can tell that it's a pivotal moment for both of them. Yep. Like one of them is learning empathy and the other one is learning um, confidence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay, so we get into the song and I, I you know, I realized... Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, um, as I'm sure everyone who listens to this is going to completely be well aware of, that this was a a thing that happened with Chris Colfer, that he was going to sing this song at something in high school and basically was told no. So now he gets to actually do it in front of millions of people. And But what a perfect song for Kurt to sing. I mean, Defying Gravity, I mean, you know, the lyrics are something has changed within me. Something is not the same. Um, I'm through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. You know, I'm going to close my eyes and leap. And, and it's just such a perfect and wonderful song for Kurt to be singing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's super appropriate for both of them for different reasons. And so I like how they have like these two, these two, again, it's like the two characters who are similar, but different in important ways. So you get these really interesting distinctions. You know, and it's not it's not that they're opposite, it's that they're complementary. Mm-hmm. Which is why their duets work so well, because they really are complementary sounding. Um, 
and yeah, of course, like there's so much, there's so much stuff that happens in Glee where it was like, you know, no one ever tell Ryan Murphy a personal story. Yeah. <laughs> it will be in there. Like I remember somewhere later on in like those, those behind the scenes videos that they would pull out. There was one where, um, Chris Colfer, famously one of the few people who apparently can say no to Ryan Murphy. Um, <laughs> Like he had written, he had written his first book, and then Ryan Murphy suggested, like, "Hey, what if, what if Kurt writes a really successful book or something?" Chris Gilbert's like, "No, no, no, just yep. like, stop." Like, enough. <laughs> we almost could see oh, jumping way ahead again on a tangent. You can almost see the the start of that kind of storyline in early season three, and then yeah. that's probably when he was like, "No, stop." <laughs> yeah, you gotta have to write your own parts because you're not going to get cast correctly. <laughs> Um, I felt like at the same time his movie came out, so yeah, yeah, but yeah. I really this this particular. I mean, it's a great song. Wicked is a fantastic musical, and I think they just do a really interesting job of taking these two characters, and also you know the way they use Hummelberry and Wicked. You know, they have them switch it up. Yeah, where they they both are, you know, they're both like two halves of the same piece, mm-hmm. um, which makes it fantastic in the early episodes when they're both pining after Finn. true (laughs) and i wish i was more familiar with wicked i'm such an awful fan i uh, but i mean isn't some of the plot line of wicked also about the two witches and and their struggling relationship with each other yeah well i don't want to get to i'll get corrections if we get too far into it but anyway (laughs) yeah like i think that it's just it's just really well played here yeah um well, and, and just pointing out some of the other um, little lyric moments, because there's a couple of them that I think are really interesting. When, um, he sings at Rachel. He says, um, you know, after the, the Defying Gravity chorus, he says, and you won't bring me down. And he looks right at her. Right at yep. her. Yeah. I felt bad for Rachel, not initially, but, like, over time you realize, like, she's just... She's awful in so many ways, but she's learning and trying. And I felt bad that, like, there wasn't a way for her to be, to blossom into more. Because she had so much, like, laser focus. But, actually, but I mean, the fact of the matter is that, you know, if Rachel didn't exist, the Glee Club would be in a totally different position. And it would be a much more fair fight. So I totally get why Kurt looks, Kurt looks at her and says that, like, she's his adversary. Though more appropriately, he should look at Will. <laughs> yeah. No, and he does in a second. I was going to point one really quick thing about Rachel, though, before I get to that. No, no, you're fine. Um, is that you know not only is are they kind of adversaries, but at the same time, Rachel being who she is is push helping push Cart, you know, yeah. be who he is or, or try to take you know these chances or pushing himself. You know, so I do think there is some kind of positive even here at the beginning where. Yeah, I think- I think both of them together, like, they sort of force each other to grow and try harder. Mm. It's a complementary competition where each of them goes back and focuses on their own strengths and does the things that they can do well. Absolutely. Okay, so the... the try not to jump ahead by talking about that duet episode. No. <laughs> it's okay. I get you. <laughs> um, I know it's sometimes hard. I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk about Blaine. No, 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 we can't. Do that. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So the other thing was you know, one of the things that I love about season one is there's so much Kurt, but we don't. It's not Kurt like constantly within a relationship of just one thing, right? And I, I 
I feel bad for people who really just love Blaine because Blaine really isn't more than a satellite character to another character. I mean, he's a, he's a big one and he's used a lot, but he doesn't really get to exist on his own outside of a particular reference. Right. The little um, bit, I mean, a little bit in season four, but it's a little yeah. bit, but not that much. I mean, yeah, not the way Kurt is in season one. Yeah, not the way any of them are in season one. I mean, we get to see, I mean, you get to see Santana and Brittany separate in a particular way that I think is important. Um, and, I mean, obviously, Tina's all over the place, so that's what can't Poor Tina. <laughs> you can't talk about Tina, but, like, seeing these characters sort of fleshed out beyond just, like, the pairing or the relationships where they, d- where, where, you know, the story decides what kind of relationships these characters are going to get to play out all their interactions in, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, the, going back to the lyrics real quickly, um, he looks at Will and directly says, I'm through accepting limits because someone else says they're so, or someone says they're so, you know, and it's to society too, but he definitely just looks at Will when he says that. That was great. Yeah. I can't remember if are there ones where Rachel is like doing the glare and the point kind of that. I mean I uh, just watching it this morning I, obviously it's not written down in my notes but um it he, <laughs> he <laughs> she um she does it, something about love and it's she's looking at the whole at Finn and Quinn at, when she's talking about like certain love aspects of it so, it, so much pining. right right so much pining and hairbrush singing and <laughs> I love it. I love that about her. Um, so, uh, one thing I really would like to, uh, that I think is fantastic here, is um, Chris Colfer's acting. Um, <laughs> that moment when he's actually watching Rachel sing, well, I mean, it's in the middle of the song, and he's watching Rachel sing. And the first time through, you, you think, oh, you know, he's worried about how well she is and whatever, and, and that, you know, he feels like he's going to lose because she's so much better. And what he's really thinking about is that, you know, I blew the note, but I, you know, did it for my dad, but, you know, I'm so sad that I'm not going to probably win this thing. And it's so much, and just this little, little, like, half second of a reaction, it just is amazing to me. Yeah, it's a masterful use of, like, cheekbones and, like, a (laughs) tiny little bit of, like, movement of the eye. Right. And there's so much happening. Thank goodness for the internet. (laughs) Yes, you can stop and watch it over and over again. (laughs) Just freeze it. <laughs> um, you know, a mus- musically, I'm going to quick and say this. I, if he had not blown the note, um, I personally, going back on my background, I, I, of course it's subjective, think that Rachel was the better of the two. However, I will say that, um, you know, right now, and I don't know if it's just, Chris's background, or if they were trying to make Kurt like this, he he's a little bit weaker. There's a little couple of times where he's not holding the note all the way he could, or he needs more breast support, or a little off the note. But he gets so much better as the show goes on, and and you know it's not just a, a growth of his character, but I can see his musical growth throughout the show, and that's why I'm like okay. Hopefully, I won't get hate mail for it, but I'm okay with saying stuff about like some of his earlier songs not being, and I'm talking like. You know, a, a, a hair below, you know, stuff that Rachel can do. I'm not talking like, you know, he sucked compared to her. Um, I think they have a really, 
you know, they were able to really take advantage of how the experience of the individual actors can affect the characters. Right. Because here's Lee Michelle coming from Broadway, being fucking amazing from day one, and Rachel, who's been practicing songs in her bedroom, putting them on MySpace forever. Like, she came, you know, she was born ready. And then, especially when you get the 2009 information, then you see Kurt, who's, like, trying to figure out exactly, like, he's, He's just not as mature. He's not as ready as she is. And in, for a lot of reasons, she's better to put in a competition. She's a more palatable thing for the judges. You know, he's more he's more interesting and she's more palatable for me uh, in terms of, like, he's this thing that's really different and amazing, but you can be distracted by the fact that it's different and amazing. And so I can see why, you know, the coach would think, we want to win this thing, so we're going to get someone who's really fucking great and you know when she sings it's what everybody it's what everybody wants to hear not in a way that's boring but like you know she's just that good and she really is polished like she shows up polished and she walks into that choir room and she's gonna wipe the floor with him right you know right 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 yeah exactly that's what i was going with that and interesting that they yeah, i'm gonna jump ahead again but they, they have her hearken back to that is remembering a time when she really wiped the floor with him and then he says to her, you know, truth time, no. <laughs> well, like, what? You know, like the whole, everything just like spirals out of control because, you know, that was a really important moment for her. And it's unfortunate, you know, somebody has to lose. And it's the lovable person who I love who has to lose. But, you know, she she really did deserve to, deserve to win. And she might have deserved to win even if he hadn't. After, yeah. And, and you know, again, jumping ahead a little bit, that is what makes... And I'm so, so grateful that we were able to eventually get a, a copy of his solo in season five when they did Defying Gravity again, because he yeah. is amazing on that yeah. second time around. And just the maturity and the strength and the confidence and everything that was somewhat missing in this performance is in that season five performance. And it just, you know, so that is why I'm okay, you know, saying, okay, well, you know, Rachel is going to wipe the floor with him, but, you know, that's you know, okay. Like, if Will were a really amazing Glee Club leader, <laughs> he might have seen this would be a hell of a duet because they did that on the Glee Live thing, and it was great. Oh, I never saw that. Have you? You haven't seen any of the season one, the Glee, the tour that they did? No, I've never. I've seen a lot of the season two stuff, but I've you never seen. Totally go back and watch them because they did. They did it as a duet, the two of them, and it was fantastic. There's tons of those. Those videos are really hilarious too, because it's like you know their first time out, so it's a little less polished, mm. <laughs> and it has all that has, a, has all that wonderful heart, you know. Um, but they do they do it together as as Kurt and Rachel singing the song together, and it's like this beautiful moment where the two of them come together at the end. They're like holding hands, you know, and it was it's like such an improvement over what they did in the show. It was a really smart way to do that in a live tour. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'll have to go check that out. I'm such a bad fan at sometimes. I'm, I, I've seen, like, the Clanes get, like, 5,000 times in 5,000 different versions, but I've not really sat down and watched any of the other Glee live stuff, and I really should. Oh, there is, well, in the season one live show, this the skit is Kurt and Brittany every time. Oh. So that's why it's Kurt and Brittany again, because Kurt and Brittany are so fucking good at it. I love that. So, yeah, so all through the first one, it's Kurt and Brittany, and they are hilarious because like you know those are the, that's seriously the king and queen of the background moments they're like <laughs> we're gonna get to lives at these two and yep. they just nailed it every time i love it um one quick thing before we get to the the final scene i just wanted to again have another shout out to mercedes and how 
proud of him she is because um, she she's, you know, clapping and, and when he hits that note, she kind of, you know, reels herself in from having a bad reaction and claps for him anyway. And just, um, I don't know. I just like to point out that, that friendship because I just I really enjoy it, especially in season one. So Yeah, it's interesting that they don't show her more disappointed because she must know that he can do it. But I wonder if everybody just accepts the fact that, like, maybe he kind of couldn't. Yeah. Well, he's privately practicing, you know? Mm-hmm. He well, seems like the kind of person who would, he keeps all that stuff really close to his chest, and he's going to pull it out at the last minute to, like, wow everybody. So nobody, you know, with Rachel, everybody knows she's going to 100%. But with Kurt, like, nobody really knew all the different things he could do because he's just so inward. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I bet, I bet there was a lot of, uh, and you know, totally speculating on this, you know, but that you know, I'm sure Kurt and Mercedes have had conversations like, oh yeah, we're gonna blow Rachel out of the water, and she heard little little bits of it, and and yeah, like I'm sorry, the two of them are driving around in the car singing all the songs. They're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. taking the long way home so that they can get all of the song in. I love know? it. Just I, that's just what I think. And so it's interesting because, like, you know, Mercedes does a really similar thing where until she sings, oh, I, I'm not going, that's the song I'm trying to mm, Okay, yep, yep. She sings that one. It's like people haven't really been paying attention that she's got this amazing ability. And then she finally just like, I right, fine, I'll just sing this one particular song. And you know she's sung it every morning. Mm-hmm. She's driving to school, like, all those kinds of things. But when she does it, it's like finally everybody gets to kind of slow down and pay attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certain people don't look surprised. Kurt doesn't look surprised. He looks nope. proud. Yeah, they, absolutely. They've been having slumber parties and singing at each other. <laughs> I'm sure of it. I'm sure they did. Oh, I love it. Oh, um, oh yeah. And and, and um, one quick thing before I forget. Uh, also, uh, you, when he's singing, um, you can tell the moment he decides that he's going to blow it. I, I think that he was unsure going in and, like, he starts looking around a little bit as he's getting there, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Okay, I gotta botch this," and then he does it. Yeah, and just another really nice moment that's in there. Yeah, this is well done. Some good acting in these first few episodes. Absolutely. From all these people who were like unknown. Oh, I know. Well, I guess we'll give Mer- Ryan Murphy credit for that one. <laughs> huh. So, okay, so then there's the the final scene um, with with Cart and his dad in, in the uh, garage again, and I love the opening. I wrote down the quote. It says, um, "Hey, Dad, what are you doing?" She's like making biscuits. What's it look like I'm doing? <laughs> you ever wonder where Kurt's snarkiness comes from? I think we have an yeah, answer. Uh, I, I say that kind of stuff a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. <laughs> oh. So, but anyway, uh, you know, kind of getting into it, and I, I love that Bert's, you know, he's like all ready to go down there again and, and yell at Will and yell at everybody until you know something happens, and that that Kurt kind of just comes in and is like, you know what? No, this is, you know, I, I wanted to protect you. I, I I have all of this stuff that I can deal with, but you're not there yet, and yeah, and I like that they bring up. Um, his mom and saying and Bert saying like I really wish that your mom was here because she was so much better at, at fleshing it out mm-hmm. because you see Bert is someone who's like look I know how to storm in and make a fuss and like you know come through like a herd of buffalo like he gets that he doesn't he doesn't always have the tools and the understanding of how to do all this other work the emotional work and some of the other more subtle things right 
And so it's interesting because they, you know, they put that out there, like that he's got this other half of, of how he would hopefully deal with the situation and he's lost, he's lost that person. He's lost all those tools and all of that intuition that someone else brings to the table. And then he kind of, you know, the two of them kind of look to Kurt, like, like as if those two, like, so Bert and Kurt together are going to fill the way that, that situation needs to be in, mm-hmm. like, not so much making, you know, making Kurt the girl, but right. making him, because, because he doesn't have, Kurt's not going to physically barrel through something. He might verbally barrel through it, but he's also going to have an intuitiveness that, you know, he apparently gets that from his mother and that is what helps them sort of generate this more whole relationship, like coming at a coming at a situation with a lot of different techniques and abilities. And I, I think I, I completely agree with that. And in addition, I think that um, Bert having or having Kurt be like his mom, which I, I really love, um, kind of helps Bert understand Kurt a little better because they're still, you know. Even in this scene, um, when he's like, I'm going to go change my sweater because it's Alexander McQueen, and Bert's just like, I don't even get that. But, you know, he can latch on to the parts that he does recognize. Yeah, he's just like, I get it's a nice sweater. Yep. Whereas people at home are like, fucking, well, how'd you get that sweater? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those of us that know, or I mean, I didn't really know who Alexander McQueen was before I started watching Glee, I'll be honest, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the stuff that Kurt wears, especially, I'm like, I, I was at some point later on the show they talk about how he's like artful on like buying stuff secondhand and getting all because his out his outfits are amazing, and even the ones that you can't really appreciate, you go and you look at it and you're like, oh, I can't appreciate it because I'm not sophisticated enough. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but one thing but kind I, of I wish. Oh, go ahead. Shown him in some coveralls. Because I want to see what Kurt's coverall. I want. I want an actual canon representation. Of Bedazzled. <laughs> yeah, like, do they have a big rhinestone K on them? <laughs> Are they? Do they have shorts? Like, what? Like, what is? I could. I, it's got to be something. It can't. But maybe it is just. It's like this plain thing, and maybe it's like because there's a part of me that thinks like he's like a little kid, like dressed up in his dad's clothes, which is also totally adorable. You know, that he would have this like special coverall or he probably hasn't he's probably wearing a neckerchief with it or something oh absolutely he's got something <laughs> fabulous hat always a, ch- a chance to accessorize he will yeah. and let me tell you there has been a lot of thick with kurt and the coveralls and <laughs> they're running the whole gamut of what it could possibly be <laughs> i love it um he's usually wearing them for very long <laughs> i think that's a conversation for another day <laughs> Yeah, I look, I look forward to being on the Smut Thick podcast. <laughs> I think it will be my first choice. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, there are lots of people you should bring in. I'm going to just have everybody in on that one. <laughs> like, just hilarious moments that are now, like, they now just stick in my mind. And, like, sometimes I get reminded of things and I'm out in my everyday existence. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's funny to myself. I'm going to laugh at this joke to myself. <laughs> Can share this with no one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's when I get on Tumblr and be like, okay, I just had this thought, and then you know. <laughs> so, um, one thing that I wanted to mention um, about the scene is that Kurt says um, that oh, what is the exact quote? Uh, that he loves his basically that he's that 
loves right. Yeah, he 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 loves you know more than he loves being a star. And I think I just want to draw in a parallel to Rachel here, and that Kurt has more empathy and more um, uh, of uh, just. He, he understands people and, and he's better in his relationships in some respect than Rachel. And that, you know, Rachel, on the other hand, because she's so cutthroat, is able to get things that Kurt may be struggling with later on. But, uh, I mean, I just, that is the thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I totally makes you think of Rachel because you make sense like, oh, well, see, she's just selfish. But, you know, here we have two young people who have been raised and I hate to say it like this, but without a mother, without mm-hmm. a mother figure, which, you know, typically is when they say, like, well, that's where you get all the soft and understanding things from. Mm-hmm. Then when you meet Rachel's dad later, that's clearly not the case. I <laughs> wish that they would have had Rachel's dads. I feel like we really lost something in not having Rachel's dads be as important as Bert Hummel was. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like, or just one, just give us one dad, you know, somebody besides Shelby, who's totally disconnected because they have Rachel doing all these things with Shelby trying to, like, connect to some piece of herself that she feels like is missing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you see her and she's she's example, she's explained to someone who's totally alone. But she has these two parents who those guys are at every fucking thing. You know that they are. It's totally ridiculous that they're not on screen because they would have been there for everything. 100%. Like, that's just how they are. Mm-hmm. But they get explained as people, you know, people who they don't cook for her, they can't sew for her, they can't do all these typically feminine things, which aren't necessarily feminine because I can't barely do any of those things. Right. Or more, I, <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure, I, I don't know if I have the vocabulary, vocabulary for it, but it's more of a... Um, it's like she's just sort of like on her own mm-hmm. in a really interesting way. And you know, she seems like someone who would have been more coddled, but maybe she is more emotionally on her own. And then they, you see her reaching out to Shelby to try and get this other piece of herself. And, you know, I, I, when you, when you take a look and you compare Kurt and Rachel, you just feel sorry for Rachel because it feels like, you know, Kurt has struggles, but he has like a really solid base of unconditional love right doesn't well, ever go anywhere i want to tie that back in a kind of uh, something that i didn't mention when i was talking about uh, kurt having the support system from the other glee kids is that you know he's able to reach out to those other kids i mean he and mercedes are bff you know tina and Artie uh, kind of form in that core group too but like he's able to you know in some ways be able to um to um be more empathetic with them and, and able to, you know, be at their level in a way that Rachel, like, she just doesn't relate to people as well. You know, you see him taking the time to do certain levels of bonding and you see her obsessed with getting a damn boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And some of that has to do with the fact that girls are taught that it's, you know, it's important right. to have this mate, you got to get this mate, you got to do this thing. And, and they're not taught as easily to have a support system of other people, other friends. And so Rachel, again, like the laser focus is straight to just acquiring Finn. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, she doesn't get all those other kinds of relationships. And she doesn't even feel comfortable looking out for some of those relationships until she has acquired Finn. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that's like her baseline. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. 
So we're kind of coming to the end. Um, was there anything else that you think that we might have missed or wanted to go back over? Or? Well, I love that they're getting ready for the wheelchairs and Kurt is just fussing with his nails, even though they have on gloves. <laughs> I don't think I've ever noticed that. Oh, my God. I'll have to go but back yeah, and read. read before they're Proud like, Mary? He's like, yeah, he's like all snooty in the background. He's like picking over his nails and like. <laughs> Not really. He's, like, doing the I'm better than you thing when everybody's, like, getting ready to do the performance. Oh, no, I remember now. I just hadn't watched that. I haven't watched this episode yeah. in a while. Um, oh, oh. It's, like, it's that little background gold that, like, teaches you just a little bit more about the character. I'm sure Brittany's doing something amazing, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, you know, I. it's kind of funny. I, I just... This episode really is the first one that really grabbed my attention. And, and I mean, Prigger's uh, is a great one, and Acapella has some great moments in it. But this is the one that really starts, at least for me personally, but as a Kurt fan, really just grabbed my oh, attention. It's like, ah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I started watching Glee, and I was super into it, and I really, really liked it. But let me tell you, when Prigger's happened, I liked it in a real, like, I felt like it shifted and I was like, holy shit, like, I am so here for this and all the stuff that they did, like, right after that. I felt like that was when it started to pick up steam for me. And part of it is, like, you know, you get this amazing Kurt Burt thing going on and then all this other stuff happening with the kids. And, you know, I was interested in the, the – for the first few episodes, I thought the Will Terry thing was, like, kind of interesting and okay. And I'm so glad that they got past that because I didn't care anymore. <laughs> After episode and, 10 of Fake Baby, you, it gets old. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the stuff with the stuff with Finn is, an, is Finn and Quinn and Puck is all, like, it's all interesting sort of in the initial part of it, and I, I'm glad that the show had some of that, but when they got to get into some of these other, like, really unique characters to that were equally part of this ensemble cast, like, that's when it really got cool. You know, that has me thinking. One of the things that I think is such a fascinating way of, a fascinating way to do something is that this storyline is about, you know, a guy and his, or a boy and his relationship with his father. It's not Kurt, you know, dealing with his sexuality. He says he knows who he is and he does, but it's kind of like not only a, an outside world and how he deals with that, but also, you know, it's really just about a kid and his father and how they are working through these issues that they have with each other and, and what their family bond is like, and, you know, the father being, and the father learning to accept his son in, not that he, but not that he doesn't love it, but just, you know, trying to navigate these things that are complicated, and I, I think that's what it really, it's, you know, Glee is hit and miss on a lot of things, but this early stuff with the, the Kurt and, and Bert stuff is just so amazing to me, in that it, it felt like a new thing on television, and it feels like a story that, I hadn't really seen before on TV, so I, I just am blown away by it. Yeah, well, I like that they talk about, um, talk about or talk around sort of out-of-the-box acceptance, and they do that with Kurt and Bert, and they do that with Becky and Sue. Yep. And then they also have this other theme of not being a loser, which sort of applies to Kurt and Rachel, certainly to Rachel. And then also Finn and Quinn and Puck, this loser thing is like such a strong... It, it runs through so many different things in so many different ways because you think about, you know, at that age, there's all this pressure to, like, you know, you think you're 15 or 16 or 17, you better figure out who the fuck you are and get on it. But really, life is, life takes much more time than that. 
Absolutely. I'm in my 30s and just now been like, oh, wait a minute. I really didn't know anything in my 20s at all. Yeah. And I like that they parallel these teenagers who are like trying to figure out what the hell's going on with adults who are also trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. Um, And they have and and this is, you know, this episode is is a lot about it's not really about Artie at all. Sorry. (laughs) But it's a lot about competition. And there is a competition here between Finn and Puck that is happening just as severely between Kurt and Rachel getting that solo. And I like the way early Glee is really able to tie all that stuff together. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me. It's really been awesome. And um, yeah, this was Wheels. Yay! Yay! Roof off, we're gonna tear the roof off, the mother sucker. Tear the roof off, the sucker. Sometimes I think what I need is a you and a Miss TVD Podcast, a Glee podcast discussing Kurt Hummel and Blaine Anderson, uploaded every Sunday night on 2daydreambelievers.tumblr.com.